We'll open your Bibles to that book of Exodus, would you please? You know, in our focus on prayer at Fielder, it's, it's been so good for me to develop some new disciplines in my own life, prayer-wise. And one of those that Sandy would tell you that I'd love to do is to get up now before the sun comes up. And uh, I love to go sit on our back porch, and I have a chair that looks to the, looks to the east, okay, this direction. And uh, the sun comes up in bright red in the mornings, and it's just spectacular. But the way it is shaped, there's a tree that, that is there that forks, and right in the middle of that tree, there's a power pole that's a cross. And it is so good for me, because I don't ask God for anything. I'm not there to get God to do something. I'm there to listen to the Lord, and it's been so healthy in my life spiritually but it seems as though that cross that we keep singing about, God keeps putting in my eyes and in my thought. And it has the final word. It is good. Praise the Lord for that. But we're in the book of Exodus 4 again. Uh, I want you to be praying for Sandy and me. We leave this Wednesday uh, to go to Israel. We've been going there since 1983. Uh, our first trip there, where there's 10 of us in a little minivan in 1983. And uh, 40 folks are going with us to Israel. It's a life-changing experience. But then after we get finished, we'll wait two days, and I'm getting to host 20 pastors and their wives there with me that are getting to go free. They, uh, the company that I do my travels with has a donor that's let me recruit 20 preachers and their wives. I'm excited about being with the 20 wives not 20 preachers, okay? I'm going to need your prayer. If I baptize any of them, I will hold them under a long time, okay, and get them right. But you'd be praying for us. We do this uh, each year that God allows us. Next year, uh, in the spring, we're going to do the Journeys of Paul. We've done that several times, starting Thessaloniki up north Greece, followed Paul down to uh, Athens and Corinth, and then out to Ephesus and Myknos and some stuff. We'll do that next April, then next uh, September, go back to Israel. You say, why do I go in September? It's when my guide can go. I don't go without my guide, Yuval Shemesh. And uh, so I call him, what's your date open? And we'll be going, we're actually having a meeting about this in October, if you're interested in being a part of that with us. It's a life-changing journey. But today we're in the book of Exodus. Uh, Exodus chapter number nine, you can open your Bibles. What we're going to do to start the message today is with a little interaction, Okay. And I'm going to be asking you a question. What's really difficult, Jim Parks, about this question is if you don't tell the truth, Elizabeth knows right next to you that you're lying, okay? Let me just ask this question. Have you ever had a moment in your life where uh, you knew there was something you were supposed to do and you said verbally, I'm going to do that with very little intention of following through? You, you're saying it maybe out of guilt, or you're saying it because you want to please someone else, and so you're letting them know and think you're going to do something that probably you know you're not going to do. In fact, in my life, I have a paper trail to that. If you were to get out of the car with me and walk into our house, uh, into the garage, there on the wall is a uh, clipboard, and it is there that I've written down all the projects I've told Sandy that I'm going to do, all right? And and she thinks I'm after those, and I'll go buy them every once in a while and dust them off and see something I ought to be doing. But, but 
we are like that. We're good at procrastination. I used to have a statement, why do today what you can put off till tomorrow, okay? And uh, procrastination or not following through is, is a habit. But to be honest with you, it can become a spiritual habit in our lives. I know it can with me. That God is so gracious when he does this that he'll put his hand on something in my life that needs to change a place that he wants me to go in a new direction. And what's sad about it is oftentimes God and I travel the same ground, places that I should be responding to him. And and what I will do is I will say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And God knows. He looks at my heart. I'm just trying to please him for the moment, or maybe I'm trying to get out of some consequences that my rebellion and sin has left me in. And in in traveling that same ground, God in his patience has to keep bringing up the heat to get my attention. And you may be there this morning. There may be some places in your life that God's put his hand many times, maybe how you handled your money. Jason's talked to us about learning to be generous and God keeps putting his hand there and and, and, and you keep saying, yes, I'm going to one day, one day, or maybe it's lust, maybe it's greed, maybe it's a need to forgive someone. And God's continually said, you need to forgive it, and you know you need to. And we all know we need to, but what happens to us is we get to that point of obedience, and we may say the right words, but in reality, we don't live it out. Well, we're going to look at Pharaoh this morning, and He's a poster child of that, but so you would not think he's the only guy like that in Scripture. Let me just read you from one of the most famous men in all the Bible, the Apostle Paul. He had this same issue. He said, for I do not understand my own actions. Have you ever been there? I don't understand why I do what I do. For I do not do what I want to, but I do the very thing that oftentimes I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want... I agree with the law that that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Have you ever been there? Even the God's put his hand on that. Even though God has spoken very clearly to that, do you find yourself doing that? Now, this sermon today is not a message that I want to heap a bunch of guilt on you and maybe get you to come to the altar because you do it out of guilt and you'll say something to God maybe that you half mean or don't mean. What we're going to do today is we're going to watch a guy by the name of Pharaoh who struggled with the same stuff. Maybe out of his struggle, God can speak to you and me that maybe we can see some progress in this arena. Maybe what can happen to us is we can find God doing something that gets us to a place of victory. Now, you know the background to the text that we're reading. Exodus chapter number 9, Moses is trying to lead the people out of bondage. God is assisting him, trying to change the heart of Pharaoh. He's trying to give leadership to that. There's been six plagues. We're about to face the seventh one. Now, I know you may sit there, oh gosh, another sermon on the plagues, okay? I want you to know, there's a sea change in this one. The rest of them have kind of gone a certain direction. You're going to notice a nuance to this one today that ought to get your attention. And the nuance is, is that we find Pharaoh saying the right thing, 
and not following through, something that you and I can identify with. Let's look at Exodus chapter number 9 and, and see what God would say to you, beginning in verse 13, okay? For the Lord said to Moses, hey man, get up early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh. I want you to say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send, now here is the phrase, you should underline this in your Bible. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and your servants and your people. Very different. For you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For I could have, you know, put out my hand, struck you, all the people with pestilence. You have been cut off for the earth that I didn't do it that way. For this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still, now here's, a, here's Pharaoh's problem. You're still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I'm gonna cause a very heavy hail to fall, such as never been seen in all of Egypt. From this day it was founded until now. Now therefore, get your livestock, all that's been in the field into shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field is not brought home is gonna die when the hail falls. Then, though whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh, hurried his slaves and his livestock into houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his livestock and his slaves into the field. Now, there's a couple of things in this text that just jump off the page at me and, and grab me. It is the first time that it just says, Pharaoh, this is coming on you yourself. You study the Hebrew language in this context, and while I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I study people who are Hebrew scholars. They say that this phrase is speaking about the inner man of Pharaoh. The rest of the plagues have all dealt with outward circumstances, and to a point that it didn't cause Pharaoh that much convenience. But here we are. God has zeroed in on one thing, Pharaoh's heart. He's saying, you know something, Pharaoh? You've been excusing all of this, but your heart, it is far from me. And you know what happens? Is every single time Pharaoh says no, what happens? It affects his heart. Guess what? Isn't that true about you and me? Every time God puts his hand on it, puts his hand on something we know we ought to do, and we begin to make excuses, we begin to give reasons why we do not obey. Do you know what we're doing? Instead of embracing the goodness of God, we step back from the character of God. And we say, God, you know something? I know better than you know. You know what we do? <laughs> In this, when it's so stupid to do this, we exalt ourselves just like Pharaoh did. We look into the eyes of the creator God, and we say to this creator God, you know, you got some pretty good ideas, but on this one, I know better. On this one, I've got a better path. On this one, I don't need to go that far. Guess what we're do doing? We're really in our disobedience, doing what Pharaoh did. We're revealing our heart before God. Now, we're going to see later, God already knows what our heart is, but all of our excuses, all of our reasons, all of the stuff we do, it has nothing to do with this outside world. Now, listen to this. It has everything to do with our heart. And our disobedience is not a testimony about what's happening in our world. Our disobedience, our continued disobedience, is a reminder of what's happening within our heart. And I just say to you this morning, Jesus, whenever he spoke to people, 
He spoke to their heart. He said, you know something? Where your heart is, that's where your treasure's going to be. He said, hey, you, you use the right kind of words. He did this multiple times in the Gospels. You, you, you speak all kinds of right words. He says, your words of your lips, they mean nothing to me. Why? Because your heart is far from me. And you want to know one of the uh, 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 pictures of what's happening in my heart? It's what I do when God puts his hand on something requires of me to go a different direction in my life. And I stop and say, God, no, 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 no. I've got this one. You go deal with someone else. But in this text, there's something else that just grabbed me about what was happening in this. It said the people, there were some who regarded the word of God, listened to the word of God, even though they're part of that pagan culture, and they move their livestock and their lives into a building. It uses an interesting phrase there. It's in verses 20 and 21. It says, these are people who feared the word of the Lord, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Wow, I look at that statement. They didn't pay attention to the word of God. At another place, earlier in the verses, it says they did not regard the Word of God. Now, now what does that mean? It means God spoke, and they said, God, i got a better idea. God spoke, and they said, well, we've got these gods who will take care of us. We don't have to listen to God. We don't have to obey God. And there was a sense within their spirit that, God, no matter what you say, I think I know better. Or this situation, I think I can solve it. God, you go on and deal with someone else. I've got this, and I'm going in the direction that I want to go. Now, here's what you and I need to recognize. Is God's word has already spoken very clearly about a lot of stuff our world's confused about. Did you know that? We live in a world right now that's confused about gender issues. God's already spoken. I've made a man, a man, and a woman. He's already spoken. Sexuality. We have all these discussions today about sexuality. God's made it real simple. Sexuality is to be lived out between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Everything else. Everything else is a perversion of the Word of God. Because God has clearly spoken about it. And when we move away from that, you know what we're saying? We're saying, God... I'm not going to listen to your word. I'm not going to regard what you have to say. I want you to know I'm going to regard what I say. I'm going to regard what the culture says. I'm going to let the rest of the world guide me in what I do. God, you need to know you're a little behind times on this one. Same thing, you guys, about money. Okay. I want you to know there's some things about giving that are very simple. It starts with the tithe. Okay. I'll just be candid with you. When I get a check, something from somebody, the first thing I do is move the decimal one place and give it to my church. I don't even think about that. I don't even regard what other bills I might have. I don't regard what anybody else thinks. I don't regard what I want for myself. I don't exalt me. That's a decision that I've made that is unquestioned in my mind. That is a decision that I believe God has made for me. And it's teaching me generosity, which is one of the greatest things he can ever do. And so when we look in this text, what we discover is the reason why we have people going the direction they're going 
is because of what's happening in their heart and because of how they view the Word of God. But then this text moves forward, farther. Let's keep reading, if you would. A great little story right here. Then, verse 22, the, word, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so there may be hail in all the land of Egypt. On man and beast, every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. So Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail. Now, I want you to grab the language of this. He sent thunder and hail and fire down on the earth. And the Lord, it didn't use small language, he rained hail on the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as never been seen in the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in the land of Egypt. Man and beast, the hail struck down every plant of the field, broke every tree. Only the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel, was there no hail. Do you see the vivid language of this? Do you see God saying, I'm going to get your attention. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to bring hail on you like you have never seen in your life. And what he's trying to do is get down deep into the soul of that nation, more importantly, down into the heart of Pharaoh. And he's saying, the word continually, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those heavy hailstorms. I mean, you just feel like the roof's about to come in. The first thing you want to do is, oh, Lord, do I have insurance, okay? You want to move in that direction. But you began to hear it pounding. Can you imagine Pharaoh there in the palace? And this place is being mowed down. And it, it is being completely destroyed. Now, let, let me make, make a, put a little parenthesis in here. You can get the impression out of this text, if this is all the Bible you have, that as long as we obey God, we'll never be in a hailstorm. That's not true. I want you to know there's going to be some times in your life all hail will break loose, okay? And you're going to find yourself walking in it. And you say, well, Gary, is that because I haven't obeyed? I haven't got to love you. All I know is this. All I know is, is I would rather be in the middle of the hailstorm, in the middle of God's will, than safe someplace and not in the middle of God's will. And certainly in your life and my life, there's going to be some times when there's going to be hail in your life. And it's going to pound away at you. And you say, what do I do with that? Well, what did Pharaoh do with it? Let's look at in the next verses. Pharaoh knew what to say. Look at verse number 27. Pharaoh sent, called Moses and Aaron and said to them, look at these words. This guy could have been a Baptist preacher, okay? He said, this time I've sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Now, doesn't that sound like the right stuff? Doesn't it sound like a guy, God's got his attention. You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like a guy who's in the middle of a mess and he's begging God to change it. But he said, we have done wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there's been enough of God's thunder and and hail, and I'll let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out from the city, I will stretch out my hands before the Lord. By the way, an interesting thing is Moses walked out in the middle of the storm, and the storm didn't get the guy, okay? I'll stretch out my hands and the thunder will cease. There'll be no more hail. Then you may know that the earth is the Lord. I love verse 30. But as for you, Pharaoh dude, your servants, I know that you do not yet fear God, the Lord God. 
The flax and the barley were struck down. The barley was in the ear. Flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer was not struck down, for they were late in coming up. And Moses went out of the city, stretched out his hands before the Lord. The thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured on the earth. But Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased. And he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And he didn't let the people of Israel go just as he had spoken to Moses. Now, what do you get out of this? You say, well, Gary, he said the right things. I've sinned. We've goofed up. Well, when you study the Hebrew language again, the Hebrew language is not someone remorseful. It is not an attitude of repentance and brokenness. This isn't a man broken before God. This is a man that just wants God to change his circumstances. And so what does he do? He does what you and I oftentimes do. We know religious language. We know what to say. We know the God talk. Us preachers, we make our living at this, okay? We know exactly what we ought to be saying. But guess what? What's not changed is our heart. We find ourselves backing up on what we said. We find ourselves not following through. We find ourselves writing our list on a clipboard and putting it somewhere where it doesn't bother us. So we can go on and do what we want to do. You begin to look at this guy, Pharaoh, and you begin to study what's going on within his soul and what's happening. And you begin to say, my goodness, even Moses can tell he was lying. Now, by the way, those closest to you and me know when we're lying. Those closest to you and me know whether it's true or not, whether it's just religious language or not. Moses was looking at Pharaoh and he says, you know, Pharaoh, you can say all the right stuff, but down in your soul, there's not any repentance or change. Down in your soul, there's not the work of God. All that is down in your soul is continually exalting yourself and trying to get yourself out of trouble and out of a difficult situation. Have you ever done that? <laughs> I'm ashamed to admit to you I've done it before. Where there's something happening in my life, and I know it's the direct result, not of what everyone else is doing, but the direct result of what I'm doing. And what I do is I'm like Pharaoh. I began to look at the circumstances, the consequences, and I don't focus on getting my heart right. I focus on getting my circumstances right. And oh, you can baptize me. I'm going to get baptized in the River Jordan this week. It's probably about the 25th time. You know, you, you can give offerings. You can try and show God that, that you really do love him. What God wants is obedience. What God wants is someone whose heart has determined that this God of ours is a good God. So if he puts his hand on it, it's not to harm us. It's not to keep us from something. It's because he wants to do something greater in our lives than we could ever do for ourselves. This guy, Pharaoh, consulted all of the gods that, that so supposedly ruled the land, and they couldn't get him anywhere. So as a last result, he turns to the Hebrew God. But you see, again, this isn't a man with a change of heart. This is a man who just wanted out of his situation. He was willing to use God language 
to get out of that situation. You say, well, Gary, how, how, do, you, how do you see change happening? Well, let me, let me just read one of my favorite verses to you. If, if you have your Bibles, turn over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, great book. Listen to what Paul says about repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse number 9. Paul had written 1 Corinthians to them, and it had, it had, he'd kicked them around the room pretty good. And so he's speaking to them about this, and he said, as it is, I rejoice, not because what I wrote you were grieved, but because you were grieved. Now look at this. You were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you proved yourself innocent in the matter. Do you know what Paul is doing right here? Listen carefully. I'll conclude this. Paul was comparing Pharaoh's worldly grief with godly grief. Pharaoh's worldly repentance. Worldly repentance, where does it get you? Just back where you've been. Brings death. Godly repentance. Godly repentance is a good God who brings goodness and mercy to follow us all the days of our life. And one of the ways that his goodness follows us is when he puts his hand on something and says to us, you know something? That's going to destroy you if you keep going down that path. That's going to lead you to death. That area of your life is an area I want to bless, but you keep me from blessing you because you push me away and you keep saying no. And what happens to us is, is we miss it. He says in this text, godly grief. There's an earnestness about it. There is a desire to clear yourself, not, not to get it over with, but there's a desire to clear your conscience many, many times. I've sat with couples in a counseling situation where one of them's been immoral, and I see it almost every single time. The one that's been immoral just wants to get this over. Let her hear him tell me what I need to do to make this right. Let, let, let this person uh, tell me what I need to do to get this done. Rather than saying, you know something, no matter what this other person says, I want a clear conscience. I want to be right with God. And I know if I get right with God, I'll be right with this person. And that desire to clear yourself, that earnestness to make it right, that zeal, that zeal that they go out, we go after, what we're going after is a desire that our heart would get pure before God and our life would be lived in obedience. Be honest with you, that's a good God speaking to us not a God who wants to do something bad. I, I saw this illustrated some years ago. I was, a, be honest with you, I used to be a youth minister back before they had electricity, okay? And uh, I was a youth minister in East Fort Worth at a little church called Birchill Baptist Church. Great little church there, and I was there in seminary, and I was just grateful to have a place to serve. We had a guy in our church. He came to me one Sunday evening, and he said, I'm about to do something stupid. And I said, well, tell me what you're about to do. He said, I work at General Dynamics, and he said, over the years, every time I needed a tool at my house, 
I would steal it from General Dynamics, put it in my pocket, put it in my lunchbox. And he said, I've built a pretty nice uh, garage full of nice tools. But he said, the truth of the matter is, I have been a thief. And I've stolen. And he said, he said, every time God would convict me, I'd say, I deserve it, or, you know, they don't pay me enough. And he said, I'd make all kinds of excuses. He said, I've come to the conclusion, even if it's going to cost me my job, I'm going to make it right. And I said, well, what are you going to do? He said, I spent this afternoon boxing up all those tools that I stole. He said, Monday morning, I'm going to carry those boxes into my boss's office, and I'm going to tell him my story. I said, well, what are you going to say? What excuse? He said, no excuse. I'm going to look him in the eye and say, I have been a thief stolen from this company, and I've deceived you by what I did. I said, well, what's going to happen? He said, I'll probably lose my job. But he looked at me with an incredible peace in his soul. He said, I've come to the conclusion I'd rather be right with God than have anything I could get for myself. So Monday morning, went in there. I couldn't wait to see him. It was on a Wednesday night. And I expected a guy either going to come up to me downtrodden or a guy dancing, hey, 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 I got my job. He wasn't like that. He was very sober and very serious. And I said, tell me what happened. He said, well, I took it into my boss, put it on the desk. He said, the guy was shocked. And he said, okay. He said, let's visit about this at quitting time today. He said, I knew he was going to take my badge and I'd be done. He said, my boss walked up to me and he looked at me and he said, I've never seen anything like this. Never had anybody do this. And he said, if you had asked me what I would do to an employee that did this, I would have told you I'd fire them in a minute because they're a thief. And you have been a thief. But he said, I've come to the conclusion I'd rather have a redeemed thief working for me than all the deceit that goes on around me and in this company. He said, you're on probation, you still have a job, and I'm going to hold you to your word that you'll never do this again. And I'll never forget the look in his eyes. There was a peace in his soul that you could never believe. There was a sense, I'm right with God. I'm right with God. What else matters in this world? And I'd say to you today that there is a good God that when he puts his hand on stuff in your life, it's because he loves you and because he's done for you a very gracious thing in putting his hand. He's shown you the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus went to that cross, not so we would be goody two-shoes and we would do everything right, but because we are sinners in need of redemption. And even after our salvation, we need redemption. And he's being good and gracious and kind when he puts his hand on our heart and says, that's not right. You need to make that right. And what is true repentance? There comes an earnestness to get it right. There comes a zeal, a zeal for it like we can never imagine to get it pure. There becomes a desire for a clean heart that surpasses everything else in our lives so that we've come to the conclusion when God speaks, 
We're not going to disregard it. We're not going to push it away. We're going to see it as the love of God more than ever before, putting his arms around you. Now, by the way, the one who's done that as a picture to us is God himself. <laughs> the Old Testament is full of promises, prophecies of what he's going to do. Did he follow through? Every single one of them he followed through. He birthed a virgin out of a virgin, a sinless son who came to this earth and died on a cross. He died on a cross so you and I could be redeemed, so that you and I could be changed, so my heart could be transformed, not by what I did, oh, because of what a good and gracious God did for me. Do you want that for your life? Would you like to experience the peace of God? Not because you're perfect, never going to get there. But because you've allowed God to search your heart and you've obeyed him. Some of you today, God wants you to be baptized. By the way, every time you say no, it's going to get harder. He's speaking to you that you've been saved. Now you need to be baptized. Come, we rejoice with you in your baptism. You could come today and you need to just pray. And let me say, your words mean nothing if your heart is not right before.